Welcome to No Baller. It is Monday, May 10th, and I am Chris Rawl. On today's show, I will be talking about Steph Curry going out of his mind. I will be talking about Connor McDavid doing the exact same thing, and we will examine how we tend to judge individual success. All that on the other side of an advertisement from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you always call Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The screws are tightening on the regular season when it comes to the NBA and the NHL. Uh, there's a very big hockey game later tonight for my favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche against the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going to be talking a little more in depth about hockey later on in this week. For today, we're going to concentrate at the first on the NBA. Then we're going to segue into a little hockey talk by the end of this. So all will be satiated. I spoke on Friday about the play-in format that the NBA is embracing this season and how it is creating a level of competition that I love that we haven't necessarily seen in the past as the regular season is coming to a close. And we saw that over the course of this weekend. The Blazers beat the Lakers on Friday night, kind of pushing the Lakers towards a seemingly inevitable spot in the play-in. And... There's a lot of stuff that's coming out of this now. We're staring down the barrel of a very, very intriguing first playing game between the seventh-seeded Lakers and the eighth-seeded Golden State Warriors. That's who currently is there right now. Now, this isn't set in stone, but we're allowing ourselves to fantasize and dream about something that seems pretty dang appetizing on paper. So, also on Saturday, as part of this increased competition level, the Warriors are playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Wizards, who are battling for a playing spot on the Eastern Conference side, they're playing the Indiana Pacers. Simultaneous to this playoff push, we have Steph Curry and Bradley Beal going against one another for the scoring title in the NBA. So Beal comes out and drops 50 on the Pacers. And we all go, wow, this is amazing, this is cool, wonder what Curry's going to do. Well, Curry comes out and he scores 49 points in 29 minutes against Oklahoma City. The best of all worlds, this playoff push and incredible individual performances from these two players. So everyone who has listened to No Baller, they know that my mind thinks in very specific ways when it comes to individual success and team success and how much of those two things are pieced together and how much we should hold an individual accountable for their own team's success. And I'm always looking for people who can change the status quo when it comes to celebrating a player on a, a losing or a non-winning team. So Steph Curry. We are going to begin today's episode by using him as a case study for this specific thing that I'm talking about. So after the Oklahoma City game on Saturday night, this comes from Nick Friedel of ESPN. I'm going to read you a quote from him. Curry finished the night going 14 for 26 from the field, including 11 for 21 from beyond the arc. It was the seventh time this season that Curry has made at least 10 three-pointers in a game and the 22nd time he has done it in his career. It's also the fifth time he has hit the mark in his past 15 games. To put that in perspective, 
Curry's longtime teammate, Clay Thompson, has the second most such games in NBA history with five in his career, end quote. So people are losing their minds for very good reasons. We're going through a historic offensive stretch of basketball from one of the notable offensive superstars of this generation. And Curry goes about his business in such a unique and, in, and joyful way, as I've gone into on a different episode of No Baller, that it stimulates fans and it goes and it makes us all feel like this sense of euphoria and joy when we watch him play in a way that I don't think a lot of other people bring to the table. This stat is incredible. There's a reason that we're losing our minds. Steph Curry is setting an NBA record within a 15-game stretch that only one other player has matched in their entire career, Klay Thompson. His last 15 games, he's had five times he's hit the 10.3 or the 10 three-pointer made mark. That's an incredible stretch of basketball from from Curry, a guy who has already gone through these incredible stretches of offensive basketball in his career, including in 2016 regular season, a stretch that I never thought would be topped. And now I'm watching it and going, this might be better from Curry. I want to read to you another stat. This one comes from Anthony Slater of The Athletic. The eye-popping Curry stats never end. He's now made 136 total threes since the start of April. No other NBA player has made more than 86. End quote. So he's 53 pointers ahead of the next closest person. Also kind of unfathomable, especially at a time when three-point volume and efficiency is kind of reaching its peak. Steph Curry's numbers in April for the Warriors. This team that is not very good, but he's having to do everything in his power to, to drag them towards the plan. Curry averages 37 points a game, six rebounds a game, four and a half assists per game. Again, for my money, the greatest month of basketball in Curry's career. And yet, the Warriors go eight and eight during that stretch. So we're setting the stage for this individual success versus team success discussion. Because it's taking a supernatural season from Steph Curry just to drag the Warriors to a tail end playing spot. Okay? Two things that seem kind of at war with one another. I'm going to read to you another quote. This one's a lot longer, but it has a lot of information that I think is important for this discussion. It comes from Ben Golliver and Arter Glacha of the Washington Post. The list of Curry's three point records is seemingly endless. He is on track to lead the NBA in three-pointers in a season for the sixth time. He holds the NBA record for threes in a season with 402 in 2015-16, and he ranks second to Ray Allen, 2,973, in career three-pointers with 2,779. At his current pace, Curry should take over the top spot next year at 33. Allen played his last game at 38. Throughout his career, Curry has challenged conventional wisdom about the three-pointer, finding ways to shoot with excellent efficiency even when his volume of attempts increases and his distance from the basket increases. In response to rookie center James Wiseman's season-ending knee injury, Curry upped his workload in April, posting a usage rate of 35.6%, the highest monthly mark of his 12-year career. Meanwhile, Curry shot 51.8% overall, 46.6% on three-pointers, and 90.8% on free throws in April, easily entering the coveted 50-40-90 shooting club, 
even though he has increasingly stepped out to behind 30 feet to launch over defenses that are doing whatever they can to stop him. End quote. So again, a historic stretch of basketball we're seeing from an already historic offensive player. Highest usage rate in a month in his career. Doing so at an efficiency rate that is as good as anyone could expect from anybody in basketball. Those two things normally don't go together. Let's just start there. Efficiency and usage. The higher one goes, usually the lower the other goes because that's just how conventional wisdom says it should work. You can't possibly produce at maximum efficiency the more you are expected to produce. That's why we give a certain amount of leeway to superstars when they're not shooting at as high a clip as Joe Ingles because we know that it's built into what we're asking them to do. They can't possibly perform at that high level of efficiency. And yet, the last month and change, Curry is performing at an efficiency level that is as good as anybody in basketball while also averaging 37 points a game, six rebounds, four and a half assists, and putting together this high usage, high efficiency, month-long stretch. It's really, truly an, an incredible thing to watch in real time. And every time he comes on the TV, it's must-see television for anybody who likes the NBA. Challenging conventional wisdom. You hear that line within the Washington Post article, and everybody who listens, they know that my ears perk up, and I go, okay, now you're speaking my language. This is stuff that I like. I like when we question what's going on. And when it comes back to the individual success versus team success narratives, conventional wisdom, it always says that winning should be celebrated above all else. Despite the fact that an individual, as I've gone over many times and will go over many times more, can only have so much of an impact in a team sport. So I like how we're discussing this season of basketball from Curry and especially this stretch of basketball from Curry. A stretch where, again, in April, he's out of his mind and playing as good as he's ever played. And the Warriors go 8-8. Eight and eight. And rather than concentrating on the fact that the Warriors were a 500 basketball team, we go, man, this team is not good. And it is taking otherworldly efforts from a superstar to drag them to this. And that's worthy of celebration. That's something that when I watch, I go, Curry, you deserve 300 hat tips for your efforts right now. This is as impressive as anything I've ever seen you do. And I understand he's won three NBA titles. I understand he's won multiple MVPs. I understand he's, again, one of the greatest offensive superstars of our generation. And yet I watch this last stretch of basketball and I go, look, I know it's not contributing to winning at a level that it has in the past, but this is as impressive from an individual perspective as anything I've ever watched from this player. The best part of this season is I think a lot of people are agreeing with that mindset that I continually press upon individuals and teams because everybody is celebrating this stretch. You're seeing, I was reading a million different articles before in preparation for this show from all these different publications, The Athletic, Washington Post, go down the list, ESPN. And the concentration was not on, ah, why is this team not better? Because we know why they're not better. They're just not a good team. The concentration was on, this is amazing basketball from this individual, and let's acknowledge it as such. The Warriors are 35 and 33. They have a point differential of plus 0.8 points per game. They have a huge game tonight against the Utah Jazz. 
huge for the Warriors because they're still trying to stay in that eight spot rather than drop to nine where the Grizzlies sit a half game behind them. It's a big game for the Jazz, who are currently in the one seed. They're two games above Phoenix, but Phoenix owns the tiebreaker. So the Jazz are trying to put a little distance between them and Phoenix for that one seed. It's a very big basketball game. And we are able to go into a game like tonight with, in my opinion, the, the correct mindset and the, the more conducive mindset to talking about sports. The Jazz, they're going through great team success. Let's celebrate all the things that have tied into that, especially as Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell have been sitting over the last few weeks. How are they continuing this winning streak? What does that mean? This is really cool stuff. And on the flip side, the, the man on an island dragging his team along with him. And rather than kind of piss upon the Warriors for being a, not a good basketball team, we go, hey, let's acknowledge Curry and, and what's going on here. So I think about how we're discussing Curry and this Warriors season. And I think a part of it is built into the fact that Curry has won in the past. And it's easier for fans in the media to acknowledge and identify an individual stretch like this that doesn't necessarily tie into winning at the highest level for the team if it comes from somebody who we already know is a winner. Curry is a winner by every definition. Again, three different finals. And so it's easier for our brains to grasp that, and it's easier for us to talk about Curry when it comes to an individual stretch where his team is essentially 500. And we go, no, no, no. You can be an incredible player on a non-winning team. We see that with Steph Curry, and we all agree with it, which I go, okay, this is good. This is a step in the right direction. However... I wish we would extend this same courtesy to players that don't necessarily check all of these winning boxes in the past that Curry has because I don't think we need somebody to have won to understand how important and how good they are as an individual, as I'm going to discuss here. We don't have to pile on good players that are continually in the playoff mix that haven't won a title. We don't need to retroactively fit their careers once they have won a title like we did with Dirk Nowitzki in 2011. We can understand Dirk was good that entire time, even as he was losing in the playoffs, even, even as he lost in the finals to the Heat in 2006, even as he flamed out as a first seed against the Warriors a year later, as, and he was the MVP. We, we can understand that stuff happening in real time, and we can understand, man, this individual is way good, and, and hey... A little little thing that we always seem to forget. Technically, every team but one at the end of the season is a losing team. And so if we're judging strictly by those parameters, we are always going to hammer on the vast majority of players and teams because only one can truly be a winner at the end of a season. I look around, I look around the league right now in the NBA, and I say there's an incredible influx of talent. There's a lot of young guns that are very exciting to watch. Donovan Mitchell right here in my own state. I mean, it's been a joy to watch him grow and continue to get better over the last four years, and it seems like he still hasn't reached whatever his potential is going to be. You have Devin Booker out there on the Suns, a very similar player in what he's bringing to the table for his team and how we're celebrating both of them this year because they are the one and the two seeds in the Western Conference. And I look around the league more, and I go, Zion Williamson, John Morant, Luka Doncic... 
Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Giannis. There's a lot of young talent that we're still in, you can kind of call it a honeymoon phase, where they're young enough and they've been incredible that we don't hold all these playoff failures against them. And yet there comes a certain point where in a season where only one team can win, you go five years and technically only five teams possibly could have won, usually in the NBA, less than that have won because we see the same teams come about and win championships. And now we start holding the individual success of these players against them because their team hasn't won a championship. Giannis is a very interesting example that we're currently going through and we can see the narrative slowly changing because you go back three years and Giannis was one of these brilliant up-and-comers and we were seeing his game progress. And he was having these incredible seasons that he built one upon the next, upon the next, upon the next, and we would see improvement every single year. And the last two years, he wins the MVP. And we all celebrate that because Giannis is doing his business in a very unique way in his own right. He's kind of this combination of a modern day Shaq and who knows who else. He's super athletic and that really shows when you watch him on the screen. It's fun. He's playing great defense. He's pulling down rebounds. He's doing the Giannis two-step and it seems like he can go from half court to the basket in those two steps. And we were all fired up about it. And solely, not solely, but in large part based upon Giannis's talents, the Bucks were having really successful regular seasons. And yet, I think the majority of people who watch the NBA and watch basketball, we had a lot of questions about how that success would translate into the playoffs because there are certain notable red flags when it came to the team as to how they would play in the playoffs, a, a game that is tighter, that is less free-flowing, that defenses really hone in on what are your weaknesses. We are going to try and make you do that every single possession. So the Bucks lose the last few years. And what was the flavor of the month with Giannis and the Bucks coming out of their loss last year to the Heat? We kind of turn upon Giannis and we go, well, this is, I mean, yeah, he's won two MVPs and, and, and yeah, he deserved those and he was really good. But I mean, why is, it, why is this guy not winning the playoffs? There's some flaw within him that is causing this to happen. And granted, there, there are things about Giannis that can improve when it comes to a playoff setting. There's things about every single player in the NBA that can improve when it comes to a playoff setting. If you really, truly want to nitpick a player. Uh, the problem is I would watch the Bucks and I would go, yeah, uh, there's some of this that's on Giannis. Giannis needs to either develop a, a little bit better of a jumper or and he needs to get a little bit better as a free throw shooter. And he needs to understand how to play a little bit better off ball in these settings where... He can't just grab a ball at the top of the key and run into a playoff defense that's sitting there with five people because they're all just going to sit there and wall off the basket. And it's going to seem a lot more clunky than it seems in the regular season. So we're now holding Giannis a lot more accountable for his team's failures than we were two years ago when we were still in that celebration phase. And when I compare this to what we're going through with Curry... I think that it's really tied into the fact that one has won in the past and one has not. Because it's so much easier for our brains to comprehend, hey, Curry's a winner. We've seen it. And so 
his individual success, even if it doesn't tie into a team success right now, we know it has in the past. And so we can comprehend how freaking good of a stretch of basketball this is for that player. Giannis, we haven't seen him win at the highest level in the past. And so we're seeing individual success that in its own right is, is almost as incredible as Curry's. And yet, nah, maybe it's not that impressive because we don't really know if he's a winner. I think across other sports, and I think our brains work in the same way of how it's so much easier for our brains to comprehend what I'm talking about when a player has won. I think of Tom Brady, who's the winningest all-time quarterback. And for football fans, synonymous with the word winning. And the best playoff performance I've watched from Tom Brady is actually in a loss. It's against Nick Foles and the Eagles in the famous Philly Special Super Bowl. And we don't celebrate that game for Tom Brady as much as we celebrate some of these wins where, you know, he's throwing for 170 yards and, and the defense is carrying a lot of the weight and Vinatieri is kicking these field goals. And, and yet in that game, Tom Brady goes 28 for 48, 505 yards, three touchdowns and no picks. Like statistically speaking, it's the greatest performance of his playoff career. It came in a loss because as everybody's career has shown us, and as especially Tom Brady's career has shown us, individual success is never tied into team success in the ways that our brain wants it to be, in the way that the logical human mind wants to comprehend sports in. It's never that simple. Yet, because we know Brady is a winner and his team has won a lot, it's a lot easier for us to watch a game like that Eagles Super Bowl and go, that's an incredible game from Tom Brady. And, and yeah, they didn't win, but their defense gave up 41 points. What do you want? That's the same kind of thought process and courtesy that I want extended out to all players. LeBron's another good example when it comes to the ease with which our brain can comprehend how good an individual can be in a losing effort. For my money, some of the finest performances and stretches of LeBron's career are in losses. It's the 2007 finals when he drags a bunch of bums to the NBA finals and they beat the Pistons in the crazy Eastern Conference finals that year, game five when LeBron's scoring seemingly all their points to win. And then they get smashed by San Antonio. And now in retrospect, because LeBron has won, we just go, well, yeah, that's pretty incredible that he took that roster. You go down that roster and, oh my gosh, this is a G League team. And he took them to the NBA finals. Uh, the 2015 finals, when he's dragging a team with no Kyrie and no Kevin Love, he's taking the Warriors to six games. We celebrate that now and we acknowledge it as this is up there with anything LeBron has done. You can put it against any of these incredible winning moments, the 2016 finals, last year with the Lakers, the Heat years. It doesn't matter. These are just as impressive accomplishments and feats. And it's easier for our brain to pick up on that because LeBron has won. Now, by the same token, we don't ever extend this to players that haven't won, and especially when they get to the end of their careers. Turns into the millstone around the neck. We look at Dan Marino and we say, you're very talented and in your own right, kind of a revolutionary passer in an era where this was not as prevalent as it is now, but you didn't really win a Super Bowl. And yeah, a lot of that, the vast majority of that ties into your surroundings and your team and all that kind of stuff. But eh, we'll kind of push you to the side and we can, we'll celebrate a lot more 
uh, John Elway or Steve Young or Joe Montana because those people won Super Bowls. We'll push aside two players that are very noted within this state, Stockton Malone, because by the end of their careers, the same thing. Yeah, we celebrated him a ton in the moment. Malone's winning MVP, Stockton, he ends up being the all-time leader in steals and assists. Two marks that are, he's so freaking far above anybody that it's kind of weird to look at the, the numbers. And we celebrated that in the moment because it was amazing. And yet by the time their career dwindled down and they'd lost twice in the finals to the Bulls and they'd had a lot of other near misses in the playoffs, we just thumb our noses at it and we go, nah, they're not winners. So that individual success, it's kind of hard for us to celebrate and talk about in the same way that it's easy for us to celebrate when it comes to Steph Curry because he's won or Tom Brady because he's won or LeBron James because he's won. So we move to hockey because simultaneous to Curry flamethrowing the entire NBA and getting fans and media really fired up and, and celebrating what's going on, we have the best player in the world in hockey doing something very similar. Connor McDavid, who is the most offensively gifted player I have watched. And he just got to the 100 point, the 100 point mark in 53 games over the weekend. An incredible benchmark. The uh, fastest to that benchmark in 25 years. Alongside that, as he hits this 100 point barrier, we have a really cool stat that's being passed around that shows how much he is progress progressing. McDavid, the third active player with at least four 100-point seasons before age 25. The other players on that list, Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins and Alex Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals, the two most notable players of this generation. And now McDavid is joining that company. So I hear that stat and I go, that's pretty cool. And that's matching up with what I'm watching, which is just, what the hell is Connor McDavid? This, this guy is off the charts offensively. Much like Curry is just doing things that I don't really know how to comprehend because it doesn't match up with anything I've ever seen. McDavid is doing similar things in hockey. He'll have four-point nights seemingly every night, and he does it in this way that is just... It's so explosive and fast and unlike any player in the league that I go, what is this? And so I see that stat, and he's there with these two all-time greats, Crosby, Ovechkin. And I think... It's cool in the moment right now, and I will always say that it's cool. And yet knowing how fan and media narratives work, and knowing how we've already treated Connor McDavid's hockey career, I know that a stat like this, the more time goes on, and the more Edmonton doesn't win a Stanley Cup, something like this will be held against him. Despite the fact that the Oilers have been a tire fire of an organization his entire career, and actually for the last multiple decades. But we celebrate it right now. And if you went to any hockey fan and said, what's going on with Connor McDavid? What do you think about what he's doing? Without fail, every single one would go, it's incredible. It's historic. It is so different from anything that's currently going in the NHL that, I mean, I'm glad to be a part of this. It's, it's a really special experience to watch Connor McDavid play every night. And he's doing historic things in his own career. And now he's alongside two all-time greats. When I see that list, McDavid, Crosby, and Ovechkin, 
I really am always interested in looking at how player narratives have changed over time and how we retroactively fit certain narratives back into a player's career. Crosby, he's been the consummate winner throughout his career. He won early in his career. And his game fits the mold of what we want to acknowledge as a winning player in the NHL. Uh, it's an end-to-end game. Gifted offensively, willing to get dirty in the corners, incredible passer, he can score goals, awesome as a defensive player in his own zone, win a face-off. He just checks all the boxes of what we think when we think about a winning player. Are you willing to do anything? And can you do it at a high level? Great. That's what a winning player should be in our minds. Ovechkin followed a very different path because Ovechkin's gift is he is the best goal scorer of his generation. And if you adjust for era, many people, myself included, believe that Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of all time. Goal scoring, the most important thing that you could do in a hockey game. Put the puck in the net. So he's having this incredible career. He comes in the league at the same time alongside Crosby. Crosby starts winning cups and Ovechkin is not. And so the things that we're celebrating with Ovechkin, as, as the years are going on, we now start going, ah, no, this doesn't contribute to team success. Yeah, we know Ovechkin has led the league in goals nine different times in his career. Yeah, we know he's won three different heart trophies. Yes, we know he is doing the most important thing in hockey at the absolute highest rate that somebody has done in this generation. And again, for adjustment with era, as good as anybody has ever done it. And yet it wasn't until Washington wins the Stanley Cup in 2018, three years ago, 12 years into Ovechkin's career, that we were all able to take a deep breath and go, whew, you know what's pretty crazy? The last 12 years of Ovechkin's career. Look at these goals totals. How has he been doing this? I mean, this guy's incredible. This is an amazing player. Wow, we've really been blessed to be a part of this career progression. And yet, within that 12-year span, by the time we're getting to the six-year mark or so, that was not the case. It, it was the rain on the parade. It was, are these empty calorie numbers? Does he really actually contribute to success from a team perspective? It wasn't until we saw it with our own eyes. Something that, again, has so many things factored into it that are, are beyond just an individual player's performance, especially in a sport like hockey. That it's very strange we'll continually hold... A player who is so fantastic and successful as an individual will continually hold a team's success or lack thereof against them. So we'll tie all this together. And this is something that I want everybody who listens to No Baller to think about as they watch sports and as they talk about them with their friends and how the media discusses individual success and team success, and the correlation between those two things. Curry is being celebrated right now, and rightfully so. Partially because we know he is a winner. McDavid is being celebrated because his season is insane. And so there are two questions that come about from this that I would love for people to ponder as I close this episode. Will we look back on this season down the road? And view it as a blemish on McDavid's resume if he continues to come up short in the playoffs. Or, my preference, will we realize that individual success comes in all 
shapes and sizes, and we don't need the confirmation of a championship in order to comprehend it. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.